If you would, turn in your Bible to uh, Psalm chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to be reading, I'm going to change it up on you guys today. Does anybody know what translation I usually teach out of? Anybody know? NLT. Usually I'm in the NLT. I don't even have a hard copy of uh, the translation that I'm going to teach you out of this morning, but it's going to be out of the ESV, English Standard Version, is, is what we're going to learn from today. And of course, mine's on the wrong uh, scripture. So let me go to Psalm chapter 1. I want to ask you a question before we get started this morning. Have you ever felt in your heart, man, I wish that there was more to this life. I wish I had a better life. Have you ever felt frustrated about the way that your life is going? Have you ever thought to yourselves, man, is this all that there is? There's got to be something better. And I think we've all been there. And this morning I want to tell you that that I want to offer to you from the Word of God a better life. God is offering to you this morning a change by the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart, okay? I don't want you to think that this is something that you can do on your own willpower this morning. It's something that the Holy Spirit has to come in and change in your heart. And if that will happen in your life, I promise you that you will have a better life. Okay? Uh, Last thing before we pray. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, famous sermon, The Weight of Glory said this. You've heard me say this before, probably. Uh, He said that the problem, and I'm paraphrasing because I didn't write this down. He said the problem with Christians is not that our desire is too small, or too great, I'm sorry. The problem with Christians is not that our desire is too great, but that our desires are too small. He said we play around with things like trinkets and entertainment and sex while God is offering to us infinitely more. He compares us to a child playing with mud pies in the slum, thinking that he's having the greatest time of his life, not knowing anything about what a day at the ocean is like. And so here we are as believers, so oftentimes playing in the mud in the slum, when we don't realize that the infinite ocean of God is accessible to us. And so let me encourage you with that. Very soon you will understand where I'm headed with that, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we love you, God. And and Lord, we, we just pray for your Holy Spirit here this morning, oh God. Lord, I, I, I need your help, God. I need you to uh, help me, God, to, to speak your word faithfully. God, I need you to help me to to not inject my own heart or opinion into your word, oh God. But Lord, we we pray that this morning that that your pure and good word would come forth, oh God. Lord, uh, and we pray for our hearts, God. We pray that you would uh, cause us to be able to receive and hear your word, oh God. We pray that you would help us to receive it with faith, to store it in our hearts, and to practice it in our lives. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm chapter 1. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. If you believe that this is the Word of God, can you say amen? Amen. amen. So in Psalm 1-1, David gives us three negative statements of what blessedness is not. And this morning, I want you to equate some words. I want you to equate blessedness and righteousness. Because we're going to see that the blessed man is the righteous man. They're one and the same. So keep those words together in your head as we go through this. But let me briefly define these three negatives in the order that they're given. First, blessedness does not listen to the counsel of the world. The blessed person does not set his hope in the things of this world. The blessed person uh, doesn't listen to these messages that come through the television and these messages that come through the culture that tell us what it takes to be happy. Because you see, the world defines being blessed in terms of having more of the things of this world. And the problem with this definition is that if we base our happiness on the things of this world, we're basing our happiness on things that go away, that do not last. Money can be lost. Jobs only last so long. Beauty fades away. All the things that this world tells us are important are extremely temporary. And can I tell you, there's not one thing that the world says is important that we so often put our hope in and our pride in that cannot be taken from you tomorrow. And it's gone. And then what am I standing on? That's why Jesus said that he who builds his house upon my word, he who builds his life upon my word is like a wise person who builds his house on a rock. But if you build your house on anything else, it's like you built it on sand because any moment it can go away and it's gone and your house falls if it's not built upon the rock that is the Word of God. Therefore, if I base my happiness or blessedness on the things of this world, I lose my blessedness if I lose those things. Secondly, the blessed person does not consistently act in such a way that is contrary to God's Word and His will. Now let me ask you a question. The righteous people, the redeemed people of God, 
we still sin, right? Have you sinned since you've been born again? I know I have. Uh, so don't, under, don't misunderstand me here. However, when a blessed person does sin, there is sorrow and repentance. And the blessed person, if you read Romans chapter 8, the blessed person, the righteous person, is a person who is busy about fighting sin, about making war and waging war against the indwelling sin that is still in our lives. Third, the blessed person does not stand against God by living without reference to Him in any way. Do you know that when we live without reference to God, when we live without thinking about Him and about what His Word is, that is rebellion. That is what this, this, this psalmist David means to sit in the seat of scoffers. So these are brief definitions of, of walking in the counsel of the wicked and standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers. And you're gonna, a lot of this is going to be very brief. I'm only going to really focus on one part. Uh, I, I found that taking all of Psalm 1 was an ambitious task. And so, but you are intelligent, godly people. And I, I know that as things prick your heart, you will go into your Bibles. That, you know, we probably all have three Bibles at home at least. And you will go and take one of those three Bibles and, and, and read more about what God's teaching you. So, um, I give you that. I, I, we're just kind of getting started this morning. A primer, if you will. Uh, so in short, to be blessed is not only about being forgiven of sin, but also it is about being transformed into a person who, though we fall, forsakes sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the text first define for us what being blessed is not. And now what it's going to do in verse 2 is it's going to show us the key component to what blessedness is. Okay? So you see that word law in verse 2. Now listen, I'm going to preach as though you got your Bible open in front of you. So we're looking at our Bible. We're looking at the text. I think I've got it maybe. Yeah, there it is. Boom. Isaac got that done in like 20 minutes this morning. Go Isaac. Uh, super servant of, of this church. Bless you, man. Bless you. We appreciate you. Does, does more than, than you know. Isaac Lovely. Um, anyway, where was that? Oh, yeah. Look at the text. We're looking at the text while we're, while we're talking about it. So this word law in, in, the, in this verse does not refer only to commandments as we might think on first reading. You know, we think law, we think... Uh, don't speed, Ten Commandments, we, we think rules and laws, but that's not what this word is pointing to. It's really pointing to all the instruction of God, all the Word of God. So when we read that, we should be thinking uh, not just uh, law, not just rules, not just commandments, but the Word of God, the Bible. So the blessed person delights or loves to hear God's Word. Now, there's an important thing that I want you to see between what the blessed person does not do in verse 1 and what the blessed person does do in verse 2. In verse 1, David puts the focus on external actions, right? Walking, standing, sitting. 
You see that? You got to scroll back up to verse 1. I don't have it up there. We're, 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 we're hearing the word with our Bibles open, right? That's important so that you know that I'm not making up a bunch of hooey. Our Pastor Sam's not making up a bunch of hooey, but that you're hearing the word of God, right? And so, uh, walking, standing, sitting in wickedness and sin, external actions. Now, in verse 2, he shifts the focus to an internal action of the heart, delighting in God's word. Delighting is not done on the outside, right? It's done on the inside. So what makes a person blessed is not if we externally do good things, but rather is when we experience radical inward change that results in us no longer delighting in sin, but rather delighting in God's Word. It's on the inside, not the outside. So many people are so concerned with doing things only on the outside when their hearts are on other things. God is about the business of the inside, right? That's why he chose David. He told Samuel, you know, Samuel was looking at all of David's other brothers because they were bigger and stronger and, and more mature. God said, it's not about the outward appearance of man that I'm looking for. It's about the heart. It's about what's on the inside. Because what's on the inside is infinitely more important than what you do on the outside. And if you do great things on the outside, you know what? They don't count if your heart's not right on the inside. And so it's very important that we get the inside right before we do those things, those, those good things on the outside. So this is a radical change, and it results in the blessed person walking and standing and sitting in righteousness. So, so it doesn't start on the outside, but when the things on the inside change, things on the outside begin to change, right? And so then we begin to do the opposite. We begin to walk and we begin to stand and we begin to sit in righteousness instead of the way of the wicked and instead of the way of sinners and instead of with scoffers. We begin to walk in righteousness. It works itself out. And here's the thing. Not only do we begin to do those things, but we love doing it. It is our pleasure. It is our delight to do the things of God when this change on the inside happens. You know, religious people, devoid of Christ, devoid of the Holy Spirit, they'll do good things, but it's begrudgingly. It's not the delight of their heart. The righteous, the blessed man or woman, they do those things and it is the delight of their heart to do the will of God. So we are blessed people if doing good is the desire of our heart. And therefore, it brings us great joy to not only meditate on God's Word, but to obey God's Word. Now, do you see the difference there? You know, Jim was talking about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This is one of the greatest things about the New Covenant 
God doesn't call us just to begrudgingly obey His rules on the outside. That's not God's new covenant. If, if you think that, that, that the new covenant, if you think that faith in Christ is all about just doing things on the outside, you've missed it. You've missed the boat. That's not what the new covenant is about. Rather, God offers to radically change us from the inside out so that we love to obey His Word. And you know what that results in? Eternal life. That is the path to life. That is the path to faith. It is not just doing all the rules, but it is, it is being radically changed on the inside so that we love to follow Christ, so that we love to pick up the cross and deny ourselves and follow Him. And that results in eternal life. That's faith. Amen? So, David the psalmist here presents delighting in God's Word as the alternative to sin in verses 1 through 2. But he also gives us an effect of delighting in God's Word. The effect of delighting in God's Word is meditation. Now, here we got to get away from the counsel of the world, right? Because the world says meditation is, i got to clear my mind. You know, I've got to empty my, my brain and, and have nothingness. That's not biblical meditation. So let's look real quick at what biblical med- meditation is. In meditation, we look for God's intention in His Word. Now listen, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been reading your Bible and uh, you come to something in your Bible and you think, ooh, what does that mean? Oh, well, and you just keep going and you finish your chapter or your daily reading or whatever it is. Let me tell you, that's not how God wants us to read the Bible, okay? God doesn't want us to read the Bible. Listen, when you read the Bible and and you see, man, I read this the other day and I read this today and they seem to contradict each other. Oh, well, let's keep on reading, you know. That's not how God wants us to read the Bible because those are cracks and crevices where we can begin to dig in to the treasure of the Word of God. And, and, and you know, uh, I've, I've, heard, I've heard there's two ways that we should read the Bible. You know, we should, we should rake, like you rake leaves, kind of scrape the surface just to continually wash ourselves in the Word of God, but we also have to build into our lives mining, digging, right? Because you don't get to the treasure unless you mine, right? There's productivity in raking, but you're not going to get to the treasure unless you mine, okay? And so I want to encourage you to, to, to build that into your life, a time where, where you're not just reading the Bible like any other book to, to get through a plan or, or whatever, but where you are mining into those crevices in the Word of God and really getting them into your soul. Where was I? Okay. The Hebrew word used for meditation here implies to whisper or make a low repetition. So it would almost be like, you know, someone mumbling. You know, but we're not just uh, mumbling nonsense. We're, we're mumbling the Scripture, the Word of God. To meditate would be to repeat a Scripture 
over and over to ourselves, or to have a conversation with ourselves and with God about the Scripture. So let me define meditation. I think it's up here. We can define meditation as delight-driven thinking or serious pondering or of Bible passages for the sake of spiritual pleasure. Now listen, this is foreign to some of you. The Bible is not... When you think of, of Bible and Scripture, there's some of you that the word pleasure does not come to mind. You know, let's be honest. Don't raise your hand. You know, but let's be real here. There's, there's many times when we go to the Word of God and, and, and the word pleasure is the last thing on our brain. You know what I mean? Uh, but this is where God is calling us. This is where God says the blessed life is, is in delighting in God's Word. And that delight both is the source and the reward of meditation on God's Word. Now, because God's Word does not change or, or fade or go away, but remains true forever, if we are finding our delight and our joy in God through His Word, we can now also biblically define blessedness. And this is it. A blessed person is a person who is permanently happy and deeply content in God. Let me read that again. A blessed person is a person who is permanently happy and deeply content in God. Now listen, I want to give you a quick example. You know, all the things that this world has to offer, they can make us happy. They can. They do make us happy. But if we're really, really honest with ourselves, when we spend a lot of time doing things in the world that, that are not beneficial to our spirit, but are, 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 are stroking our flesh, are stroking our, our unregenerated man, right? The things that, that can make even an unbeliever happy, which in, let me just say, in proportion and in their place, most of the time are fine and okay. But when those things begin to become ultimate, or they begin to become the, the largest purview in our lives... How many of you know those things always leave us unsatisfied? I'll give you a quick example. You know, Laura had those uh, little retro Nintendo chocolate bars, right? And listen, I was born in 1983, came up, my first uh, video game system was the Nintendo Entertainment System original, Super Mario. And uh, so... I came up on that stuff, and, and you know, that's fine and good. Uh, I don't own one now because, because me personally, that stuff speaks to me way too much. Uh, it, it speaks to my heart and my soul way too much. And I, I found myself as a teenager and um, in college, uh, I made really good grades because all I did was study and play video games. That's all I did in college. I came to church, thank God, and, and he held on to me through college. But, uh, listen, I would spend hours and hours and hours having fun playing this game, these games, and they were really, really fun. And I enjoyed it a lot. And then I would turn it off, and there was this emptiness inside of me. Have you ever been there? Television does that a lot. 
You know, I watch TV, but listen, when these things begin to be ultimate in our life, and you, you throw your worldly thing in there, it's fun, it's happy, we're neglecting God for it, but we're having fun, but listen, I turn it off, it's gone, and I'm empty. God's offering a better life. So in verse 3, let's move to verse 3. In verse 3, we see what happens in the life of the person who forsakes sin and delights in and meditates on God's Word. So this, this right here is what I want us to focus on. Uh, this is, this is uh, what started me on this psalm. So dial in right now. Uh, David is painting a picture for us here in verse 3. So as I describe this, if you need to close your eyes, that's cool. Uh, I want you to picture the picture that David's painting for us. Um, imagine with me a big and strong old tree that is 100 feet tall, 15 feet in diameter at its base, can't even get your arms around it, can't even begin to get your arms around it. Its green and leafy branches reach high up into the sky. Its roots are firmly anchored in the ground. See the tree? You know, with me? Are you imagining it? See it? Big tree. Wind starts to blow. It's blowing. Stuff on the ground's moving. It's a big gust of wind. There's trash blowing. The grass is swaying. The bushes are swaying. Way up top, you see the tree rocking. The branches are flowing back and forth. However, at the base of the trunk, no motion. Stand strong, immovable, not moving at all. Its strong and sturdy roots hold it immovable by the external winds. That's the picture that David is giving us of the person who delights in and meditates on God's Word. This blessed person is strong and immovable in Christ. Despite the many winds of this world that seek to blow us away, this blessed person stands strong in the midst of those winds. The wind may blow, but this tree will not move. It's firmly rooted. But even that tree, even a large tree that big is susceptible to something, right? Drought. What happens if the rain doesn't come? What happens if the rain ceases to fall, if, if the tree goes through a dry season in life, in its life? Well, I'll tell you, not this tree. This tree is not worried about the drought. Why? Because running beside this tree is a wide and rushing river. Therefore, the life of the tree is not based on the conditions external to it, but its roots are continually fed from the always flowing source of the river. It doesn't depend on things external and above because it has a source from within. David is showing us that Delight-driven meditation of God's Word 
is a source of life to the root of His people that will sustain us in joy even when our lives are sorrowful. Even when things get hard. Even when I find out that I'm sick. Even whenever I lose someone who is close to me. Even when my children go wayward. Even when I lose my job. God is offering us a rock to build our lives upon that does not change. It doesn't change. We will not be moved and we will be sustained if we delight in His Word. Now in this picture, what is the water? Right? We want to you know, we're the tree, right? What's the water? The water is the riches of God's grace mediated by the Word of God. Now listen, let me, let me tell you something about the Bible. You know, the Bible, in the Bible, we meet the true and living God. In the Bible, you know, what... Jesus is gone, right? Uh, you know, he, he rose from the dead and he spoke to his disciples. And, you know, I, I tell this to my kids all the time to help them understand what our life is going to be like in, in, in the new heavens and the new earth. And, and the, you know, the Bible says they were looking at him and he was in his body. He was a person. And there he went up to heaven. He's gone. Anybody ever seen Jesus? Nope. Nobody. He's gone. In the Bible, we meet the true and the living Jesus. We have fellowship with Him. There's no other way to know Jesus except through the Word of God. And in the Bible, we meet the true and the real Jesus. And you know what? I believe that born-again believers know Jesus better than... Well, let me, let me, let me precursor this. Before the Holy Spirit was given, I believe that we know Jesus better than Peter and John and Matthew. Because listen, not only do we have a perfect picture of Christ in His Word, we have His Spirit inside of us. We know Him. And it's in the Word of God that we know Jesus. You can't... You know, you can't know Jesus without the Word of God. It's, 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 a, it's a vital thing. So in the text, David gives three effects in our lives to delight-driven meditation on God's Word. The first one is we will yield fruit in our lives. 2 Corinthians 9.8, don't turn there, you can write it down. Uh, it says, God is able... To make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all times, you may abound in every good work. The life of the blessed person will abound in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you are plugged into me, you will produce fruit. Not you might produce fruit, you will produce fruit if you are plugged into me. The blessed person's life is marked by love and good deeds, and she delights in every moment of it. 
Number two, our leaf will not wither. For the blessed person, the fruit of the Spirit does not stop when there are times of drought in our lives because we do not get our joy from external circumstances. When the trials of life come, the blessed person has roots that maintain joy and life due to the unending supply of water, which is God's Word. This is the better life. Because it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. Our joy is based on what is in the inside. So the blessed person is able to walk in joy even when life is hard or sad or unfair. And let me tell you something, church. Life will be hard. And life will be sad. And life will be unfair. It will be. It's coming. And I want to ask you, is your house built on the rock or is it built on the sand? Because if your house is built on the sand, it's going to fall. And it's going to happen. It's coming for you. Trial. Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. You will. It's coming. Is your house built on the rock? Our leaf will not wither if we delight in and meditate on God's Word. Number three, we will prosper in all that we do. Now this doesn't seem right on first glance. Because even in the Psalms, David and the other writers of the Psalms are lamenting over and over again about how the wicked seem to prosper And the righteous seem to suffer. So on first glance, it doesn't seem right, right? And so we ask ourselves, is the Bible wrong here? And again, at this point, we don't just say, hmm, I don't know, keep reading. You know, we dig in. We dig in and see what the truth is here. See, godly people get sick and have struggles in their family and their businesses. Godly people die too soon. And they lose loved ones. And the list could go on and on and on. But the short answer to is the Bible wrong is no. The Bible is God's inerrant word. Right? Whenever we look at the Bible and we see something wrong, what we need to realize is is that there's something wrong with me. There's not something wrong with God's word. And so I don't go... And I don't bring my presuppositions to the Bible. I go with a humble and a contrite heart and I let the Bible shape me. That's how we read the Word of God. So something that we have to remember here is that biblical prosperity is not defined by worldly possession or prosperity. That's not how we define prosperity biblically. So I want to read you a few texts to clear up what biblical prosperity is. You can write these down. Romans 8, 35, and 37. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In, listen, doesn't say, hey believer, you'll miss all these things. 
listen, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let me read them again. In this, in tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword, in those things, we are more than conquerors. So Paul is saying that when we experience tribulation and distress and all these things in this life in Christ, that we will be victorious. How? How can we be victorious when we are being persecuted and when we are in distress and when we seem to be losing in this life? Two scriptures. Psalm 119.71 It was good for me that I was afflicted. Let me read that again. It was good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. And you're going to have to chew on that on your own. Romans 8.28 you got to chew on this one too. And we know that for those who love God all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. So the first way that the blessed person prospers in all that we do, despite the trials of this life, is that all things, including the suffering of this life, work for good. Now it doesn't say all things work for your comfort. Because I want to tell you something. God's not about our comfort. God's about good. And what is good? Good is the sanctification of your soul in His glory. That's what God's about. That's what God means when He says good. He's not talking about uh, giving us a comfortable life. He's talking about what is going to eternally save and preserve our soul. That's what God's about. So the second way that the blessed person prospers is that any temporary suffering that we experience in this life in the path of obedience to Christ will be rewarded with an, an eternal reward. I'm sorry, I'm saying this wrong. This is not a conclusion of what I just said. This is the next one. So on top of all things working for good, the second way that God prospers us in all that we does is He promises us an eternal reward. For all that we do. For everything that we do, He promises us an eternal reward. Hello. Lost my mic. really dislike this thing, if I'm really honest. Alright, there we go. 1 Corinthians 15.58. Can y'all hear me alright? Okay. 1 Corinthians 15.58. Paul tells us that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Ephesians 6.8 says, Whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. And in Luke 14.13-14, Jesus says, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. There it is. There's that word, blessed. Because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Therefore, everything that we believers do 
in obedience to God, which results in suffering, loss, grief, or sorrow, will ultimately prosper because all things will work for good in this life and will be rewarded by God in eternity. None of our labor in Christ is in vain. That is true biblical prosperity. Oh my, we're going to close. Uh, you guys are just going to have to do verses 4 through 6 on your own. I'm sorry. Um, I don't want to keep you just to get through my notes. It's pretty straightforward. Um, in conclusion, I can skip on to the last slide. I think I've got my closing exhortation on. on here we go. Boom. I want to I close with an exhortation. God is offering us... I'm going to read it just so I don't botch it. Y'all can read it with me. God is offering us this morning a path to greater joy in this life by laying down the lesser things of this world and delighting in His Word, which results in not walking and standing and sitting in the ways of the world and of sin, but rather meditating on God's Word, resulting in a life that is sustained by God's grace in joy despite outward circumstances and producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Man, it's offering us a better life. Now listen, we can, we can get through this life and we can get through this world and not memorize God's Word and not meditate on God's Word. And I'm going to be honest with you all. This is a work in progress in this man's life. You know, it is, it is a, a struggle for me to put down my lesser things and think, no, I need to be delighting in, meditating in God's Word. And let me tell you, you can't, Meditate on God's Word unless you've got God day and night. You can't meditate on it day and night unless you've got it in your heart. So I'm a practical man. I'm an electrical engineer. I want to leave you with a, with a resource before I pray with you that I've started using this year. In fact, if you want to take your phone out right now, uh, there's this little cross. There's this little red cross with a shield. It's called the Fighter Verse app. And what it does is, is that it gives you tools and resources to help you memorize one, one passage of Scripture, two to three, some of them are one, one to three verses a week. And, and there's quizzes in there where you can uh, press it and it fills in the blanks as you say it, and, and you can listen to the verse in your car, uh, and, and there's fill in the blanks, and there's questions, and then after you've memorized it that week, for the first week, it, it prompts you to review the verse every day. And then after that, it prompts you to review it once a week where it really gets down in your heart. And let me tell you, this is not hard, okay? Fighter verse app. Let's see if I can get to the head screen. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it, it's, it's nothing special. But um, red, red, red shield with a cross on it. just want to put that resource in your hands. Um, he's offering you a better life. 
We've got to do something about this. We've, we've got to do something about this. We've got, to, we've got to get our delights off of the things of this world. Because if we're really, really honest, most if not all of us in this place are delighting in the things of this world more than we're delighting in the Word of God. Right? And that's got to change. That's got to change in our lives, in our church. And that's my exhortation to you today. So let's stand and pray. You can keep downloading the app if you need to. Close one eye. Keep one eye open. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we, we love you, God. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that it is alive and real and powerful, oh God. And Lord, uh, Father, we've all heard your word today, God. And, and now we just, we just believe in and trust in your Holy Spirit to cause the word to, to take root in our lives, to cause the word to change us. Lord, I pray that that we would not walk out of this place and and continue to delight only in the things of this world, Lord God. But Father, I pray that you would uh, give us the courage and the boldness and the initiative, O God, to taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me right now. Some of you have never exercised your spiritual taste buds. You've never really given a God a chance to be the central delight of your life. The Holy Spirit says, taste and see that I am good. That I am better. Stop being the kid in the mud and go play in the ocean. Don't take what you heard today and put it away in your church file. Apply it to your life. Begin to memorize and meditate on the Word of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, we we just pray, Lord, that that You would change our delights, O God. Change our delights, Lord. Help us not to delight in the things of this world. Help us not to go to sleep thinking about the things of this world. Help us not to wake up thinking about the things of this world. Help us not to waste our commutes on the things of this world, oh God. Help us not to waste our breaks at work on the things of this world, Father. Help us not to give our highest affections, oh God, to the things of this world. God, may our delight be in Your Word. May we meditate on it day and night, O God. Give us grace, Father. Lord, may we not be religious people who do things on the outside but have our hearts elsewhere, Lord. But Father, we pray right now that You would radically change us from the inside out. Give us new desires. Give us new priorities. Give us new delights, O God. Help us to delight in You through Your Word, Father. And may it be done by the Holy Spirit. And we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, church. Uh, I exhort you to greet one another.